The Dark Night of the Soul, a podcast brought to you by Soka and the Fatima Center. What intense suffering accompanies the dark night of the soul? Do you know the characteristics of the unitive or fully mature stage of the spiritual life? And does God intend this for you? Is there anything beyond that? What about our Blessed Mother? Did she experience these spiritual stages? All this and more is discussed by Kevin Rorty in his 14th episode of Our Lady's Shock Troops. Praise be Jesus and Mary. I'm David Rodriguez, Content Director for the Fatima Center, welcoming you to another show of Our Lady's Shock Troops with our host, Kevin Rorty founder of the Souls of the Christian Apostolate, Soka. Welcome back, Kevin. Thanks, David. Great to be here. We're going through the three stages of the spiritual life. Several weeks back, we talked about the purgative stage and how then you transition through a dark night of the senses into the illuminative stage, which already started to blow our mind last time. And now there's another dark night coming up that'll get us to the unitive stage. So that's what we get to discuss this time. As always, let's begin with a prayer, please, Kevin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Veni creasur spiritus, mentis tuorum visita, in place superna gratia, que tu creasti pectora. Quidiceris paracletus, altissimi donum dei, fons vivus ignis caritas, et spiritalis unxio. Tu septi formis munere, digitus paterne dextere, tu rite promissum patris, sermone ditans cultura. Accende lumen sensibus, Infunde amorem cordibus, in firma nostri corporis, virtute firmans perpeti. Postem repelas longius, pacem quedones protinus, tutore sicte previo vitemus omne noxium. Perteciamus ta patrem, noscamus aque filium, teque utriusque spiritum, credamus omni tempore. Deo patris sit gloria, et filio quia mortuis. Surexitac paraclito in seculorum secula. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So here is a phrase that I think most people have heard, perhaps because St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila, I think, popularized it or, or made it more well-known to Catholics, and that is the dark night of the soul. Uh, and so this is going to be that transition stage, right, from the illuminative to the unitive, what exactly is this dark night of the soul? Right. So uh, as we recall, we had these three stages, childhood, adolescence and adulthood. And so now there's this transition, just like there is from childhood to adolescence, from adolescence to adulthood. And this transition is marked by maturation. So you already adolescents are kind of like these little gremlins. They're like kind of half adults, you know, but sometimes they're a little more like aliens. Right. And so you're kind of there, but oh no, you still like you got some maturation to go. Same thing with our spiritual lives. And so we talked last time about we have these hidden faults that we are not aware of. And we, we do not have the power on our own natural, with our own natural effort to root them out. We might think that would actually be, if I think I'm going to make myself humble, that would be our pride saying I'm going to get rid of my own pride. Like we can't fully do that. We can, we can work on it some, but a lot of it is the gifts of the Holy Ghost giving us these glimpses, and then we say, yes, I cooperate with it. Yes, I accept that's who I am before God. Yes, I accept who God is, that God is God and I am not. But you know, really those moments, 
in a deeper level in the depths of our soul, we don't even fully realize what's going on or we can't put it into words at least. That's what this purgation really is all about. And so the darkness of the senses that we had before, that was in our external senses. Now it's our interior, our spiritual faculties that are being purged, particularly our intellect and our will. So what would that refer to? Well, particularly the supernatural virtues of faith, hope, and charity. We will go through a trial typically of oftentimes one of these is very much tested. For example, you may have heard of St. Therese of the Child Jesus being tempted to be an atheist when she was a nun. She had everything is telling her that God doesn't exist. And yet she still believed, right? But it against all feeling. Uh, maybe you've heard the expression hope against all hope in a way. You know, that's God tests us. But, but uh, maybe misspoke because it's colloquial. I just want to correct. Better not to say against all feeling, right? Because we're saying yes. that now it's against all my powers of thinking, against all my reasoning, against everything I see, against even like what I'm experiencing in my soul is what I'm gathering, right? So that's an intellectual yeah. thing. The feelings are more of, you know, the lower parts of our human faculties. They're not the higher faculties, and even in our will, I guess. And that's kind of what's blowing my mind here, because while I can sort of get like an intellectual doubt about God, like how, how much deeper it must be if it's like a willful denial of God, right? Because we all would desire God and we want God. It, it's almost like a deep depression to desire that God doesn't exist. And I don't know if that's part of this dark night of the soul that one might suffer. That's how I see it in the will. Yeah, so well, it, it corresponds, like we were talking about our Lord's life that we start to identify more and more with. Yeah. It, it really is rooted in his passion. He always, you know, this is one of the modern errors to say that our Lord didn't have the beatific vision during his passion. He did. He always had that. But at the same time, in a very mysterious way, he yells, Father, why have you abandoned me? This real sense of abandonment. That's what this soul typically goes through during this period. And that's the trial of the saints, typically. They're tested where everything in them is telling them, in a way, like, don't believe. And so it has to be a pure, pure faith of, I believe this purely and totally just because God has said so. In a very dry sense, like that's the purification of supernatural faith. Now, is there a way of distinguishing this? Because as you explain that, you know, I think the way most people relate to that phrase of our Lord, my God, my God, why hast thou, you know, forsaken, abandoned me? It's often it's often like the deep sinner and maybe in mortal sin or still in this purgative stage that is being purified. Yeah, let's say purgative stage and not go to mortal, not not that you're in mortal sin, because oftentimes that's so much more easily objectively known. But let's just say you're in that purgative stage, but you feel so abandoned because, well, you've been so attached to the worldly things. You don't want to let them go. And when you're being cleaved away from those worldly things, it does feel like you're losing everything and you're out in the middle of an ocean trying to grab onto a lifeboat. So I think some people might confuse that. You know, that's how most people, I think, relate to those words of our Lord on the cross. But this has got to be something very different, right? Yeah. So in, when I when I use analogies with our Lord's life, I mean, his that's the beauty of our Lord is everything can be applied in different senses in many ways. So like St. Thomas says in our Lord's passion, he exemplified, he didn't just exemplify patience. He didn't just exemplify perseverance. He didn't just exemplify faith. He exemplified the very heights of every single virtue in his passion. That's what St. Thomas Aquinas says. 
so we can look at these from different angles. And in the same way, you can say, okay, just like there's this maturation in the faith that's happening always for us. There's a maturation from someone who turns from four years old to five years old, just like there's maturation from someone who goes from 20 to 30. But it's sort of like a foreshadowing. So these things can happen in more or less dramatic cases. But the reality is that this abandonment that the saints felt is all the more palpable and, and difficult than those earlier purgations, even though those earlier ones in our senses, we feel them more. This one is like in the very pits of our soul that you feel this like abandonment. Is that making sense? Well, not quite because I've never been there, Kevin. But well, sure, yeah. I'll, ta- I'll, ta- I'll take the saints word for it. <laughs> yeah, man, I mean, me neither, but <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I, I don't think I can quite fathom what, what it might be like at that, that level of the soul. But we know that you're going to feel that at that intellectual and willful in, in the higher faculties of your soul, you're, it's all getting shut in these ways that used to, I guess, be able to uh, communicate with God, relate to God, feel intimate with God. Shut down, black, gone. You know, you're, yep. you're, you're, you're in blindness. You can't see, right? Yep. Okay. And, and often there's a certain fluctuations, like you'd have this extreme dryness, and then all of a sudden there'd be certain peaks in prayer of like, because, because again, we're talking, as we talked about last time, the spiritual betrothal mm-hmm. that often represents that transition, especially where God is like really purifying. It's like, you know, gold in the furnace, you know, it's just in that fire, the furnace of God's love. You know, and, and we got to go back to what John of the Cross is where he, he talks about the, the reason why there's darkness is because it's like trying to stare into the sun. We stare into the sun, our eyes get blinded. Or if you come out of the cave in Plato's cave, like you can't, you have to adjust to the sun. You've never seen the sun all your life. You know, that's what this like starting to have a glimpse of God's inner life, like divinity, infinite being, the creator of all creation. That's what we're starting to get a glimpse into. And so... We need that purification on a very deep level, not just our external faculties, but at a very deep level. And so that's what this is all, you know, putting us through. And and our Lord gives us a great example of what to act like, to have constancy and, and perseverance and patience and faith and hope. You know, one of the big temptations can be despair, especially the devil will tempt people that on their deathbed. You know, it's really important to persevere with hope that God will come through despite this darkness, despite this sense of, you know, when people talk about depression today, you know, there's a reason why they sometimes think it's the dark night of the soul. There can be glimpses, like I said, there's foreshadowings of a lot of this stuff. It's not the same, nearly the same extent that these saints are going through, you know, but still there's foreshadowings of this just like, what do I have to live for in a way, you know? Like St. Ignatius had this, if if he did not know it was a mortal sin, he basically said he would have committed suicide. Like he knew it was wrong and he had to maintain hope, but he was so tempted with, especially when it, I believe it was because of scrupulosity. I could be correct on it, but I believe because he was so filled with just like thoughts he's going to go to hell. St. Francis de Sales went through this when he was a young man. He was just convinced like he was, because there's nothing he could do about his salvation, you know, and yet he still had to love God. He was like, I'm just going to, he was almost resigned. He was going to go to hell. He didn't fully give in, but in a way it was sort of like this feeling. He didn't have the feeling of hope yet. He still was like, I'm going to make an act of the will of hope and love of God, despite that. Anyway, I mean, mean, just to jump in real quick. I mean, I really like one thing you said. I want to highlight it. Uh, Somewhere you were saying about how we need this. And I think that's very important for us to keep in mind also, because you talk about these things and, 
certainly maybe if you're not Catholic, but maybe even then, people have a tendency to think, well, why would God do this to me, right? Why would he make me suffer this way? Whether yeah. it would be with a dark night of the senses or a dark night of the soul or even the other things that you're going to go through that are, you know, in some way analogous. And I think that, that hits it that it's because we need it. It's because you, you desperately need it so that you can grow and so you can see things differently. Yeah, and again, the, the cave is, is the great analogy in the sense of when you come out, it is going to sting, it is going to be painful, but you need to go through that painful process so that at some point you can open your eyes and actually begin to see color and light and beauty. So it's not that you know God's trying to inflict something on us or make it tough on us per se. Rather, it's just he's probably bringing us along as gently, as mercifully, and as kindly as, we, as he can, but it's still going to be very painful for us and difficult. But we need this. It's for our good, right? Yeah. And um, and let's never lose sight of God's goodness for us. And and this is all part of, yeah, what we need. And like I think we said in the show before in previous episodes, if it doesn't happen now while you're alive on earth, it is going to happen later on to you in purgatory, if you make it to purgatory, and it's going to be much more painful there. So why not really try to get this process started as best you can right now? Yeah. And, and when we think about that cave analogy again, like who is God? God is pure act. He is pure activity, his pure life and vitality and energy and, and all things good. And he's the communion of three persons. It's not static. It's like totally self-giving, constantly just like creation came forth from the superabundance of love that the, the three persons of the Trinity share. And so that's what we're being entered into. And so it, it, we should see, yeah, in a way, God's trying to be as gentle as he can with us. But in another way, he's a jealous lover and he wants all of us and the best for us is to be brought up into that fire of love. And so I thought I'd share the poem of John of the Cross. It's his living flame of love. This is one of the beautiful poems that he wrote that he, he gives a bunch of commentary. And I'm not going to go into the commentary. It's like a whole book. But just four stanzas I'll read where he's describing what this prayer is like on the other side of this dark night of the soul. Okay, so he says, O living flame of love that tenderly woundest my soul in its deepest center. Since thou art no longer oppressive, perfect me now if it be thy will. Break the web of this sweet encounter. O sweet burn, O delectable wound, O soft hand, O delicate touch that savors of eternal life and pays every debt. In slaying thou hast changed death into life. O lamps of fire in whose splendors the deep caverns of feeling, once obscure and blind, now give forth so rarely, so exquisitely, both warmth and light to their beloved. How gently and lovingly you wake in my heart, where in secret you dwell alone, and in your sweet breathing, filled with good and glory, how tenderly you swell my heart with love. He, he would write these things, you know, having experienced it, that, that there's this delectable wound you know, actually, like you can see, like this image of St. Teresa of Avila. Um, she had this experience where the angel came and pierced her soul with an arrow. That it was a, this delectable wound in a way that she describes that just in the depths of her soul, she felt this like t being taken out of herself and love of God fainting out of love for him. You know, that's really progressing toward that transforming union where St. John of the Cross talks about. Uh, he and he ties into a pretty dramatic. Way. I mean, others. I I'd, I'd have to reach it from other. But Saint John of the Cross talks about like saints dying in love. You know, when they die, like Saint Teresa of Lisieux, you could say like if you read the accounts of her death, it sure sounds like that, where she 
she had this illness, but on the other hand, like she died in this almost loving ecstasy of God. It's really amazing, you know, dying in the odor of sanctity, you know. Um, the Blessed Imelda of Lambertini, right? She's one of my favorite saints. Um, oh, I don't know. She received Holy Communion and just stayed there kneeling and died. I mean, oh, wait, was that the set, the like nine year old or? Right, right. Bless, yeah, yeah. she was patron saint of first communicants. I mean, she died in an exit. She died of loves. Yeah, she was taking this ecstasy and then just kept right on going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So th- there's, there's a lot of this language of like, there's a wound that the soul is pierced with in that spiritual betrothal and in the unit of prayer as well, but especially the spiritual betrothal. And now the transferring union, you've, you've gone to this point where all those ups and downs, St. Teresa would have less ecstasies during this time. Like the, one of the priests noted that she seemed to no longer be, you know, like the last five, 10 years of her life, something like that. She didn't seem to be staring at an image and then just, you know, stuck there, you know, in the middle of everyone else being there, you know, it didn't seem to happen as much. And one of the characteristics of that time is more of the transferring union is now it's spiritual marriage. There's a stability there. There's an inner peace. It's debated between St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa, whether or not, I mean, they don't seem to be totally on the same page, whether or not you can fall out. It's called confirmation and grace. Like once someone's there, John of the Cross basically describes them as they've been totally purified. So more or less, they just, they're confirmed in grace. They can't. Whereas St. Teresa always emphasizes like, don't never become proud. It doesn't matter how high God's taken you. She's seen it with souls who've been elevated to, you know, the illuminative stage and, and beyond and, and who have fallen. So either way, I know that's so light years ahead of, you know, where we probably are right now. But <laughs> yeah, that left says it all. Like, yeah, it's a, I'm not quite at confirmation and grace yet. Anyway, so I'm, I have a, a number of other points I want to get to, but anything you right, want to some of, No, I was going to say some of the characteristics. I mean, we're sort of describing the, the process of getting to it this dark night of the soul. What about if you are there, some of the characteristics of kind of what's happening in this, in this unity stage and how close is it to heaven, you know, to the beatific vision? Yeah, well, we're, we're, it's certainly not the beatific vision. It's, it's like the beatific vision is going to be far beyond even this, but there's a number of things. One is union with God's will and like everything co-acting with him, because we talked about this mysticism where he's progressively more and more through the illuminative states becoming the primary actor. Now it's like, that's it. You're you're committed like that's you're confirmed in that basically like your will is just his will. And that's what you desire. You actually desire what he wants fully. So along those lines, there's a component with the mystical body where all your activities become united to the mystical body because you're united to Christ in everything you're doing. And his act- activity is redemptive, everything he does. So you you're like a little reservoir for the grace a huge reservoir for the grace to overflow to others that's the end in mind here but there's your contemplation is sort of apostolic in the sense that god is going to bring great saints and bring great graces to others through your union with him and your life because the gifts are so prevalent in your life he's going to work through you in active ways to save souls around you and for graces to be dispensed to others because you're given the graces to have heroic virtue like heroic virtue becomes prevalent. That's why, you know, the marks of sainthood is we have to see that there's heroic virtue that goes above and far light years beyond what human strength could do. When you look at the lives of the martyrs, for example, the gift of fortitude is particularly prevalent there because they're given this supernatural strength to go far beyond 
what humans could naturally do to say, yeah, I believe in this eternal, supernatural, invisible truth of God. There's some characteristics. There's a couple more I have, but yeah. well, I was got a quick question. Not that you necessarily know the answer. Maybe you've read it or someone's commented on it as you were talking about that marriage and the uh, complete uniformity with God's will. A thought just struck me, and I thought to myself, so like our blessed mother, as far as we know, was she always in the unitive stage? Or was she also in the illuminative? Was she there or was she always like from the moment of her conception because she's conceived without sin and she's full of grace or obviously she progresses that I know and we've gotten that. But does that, you know, do you know? know. Well, you know, one of the very interesting questions I've talked about with some others who really have studied this stuff is, I mean, was she in the transforming unit? Is there anything beyond that? I mean, because she's I would say my understanding is she certainly was always in the transform unit because she was always full of grace from the moment of her conception. There wasn't there weren't imperfections to root out, you know, uh, there weren't, you know, <laughs> um, so like she wouldn't have to go through that. And she was always in, in union with God's will. So I think we would have to answer for sure. She was always in the transform union. Now, there are saints that attain the transform union and Our Lady certainly she's the most holy of all. That points to the fact that there's there's it's sort of exponential. There's no end to this. Um, well, God's infinity, and like we said, even the beatific vision is beyond that. So even though you might be in the unitive, there can still be, you know, an infinite level of growth. In fact, there's probably more growth within the unitive than there is in the purgative. Here we think yep. the purgative is the whole deal, right? And we spend I don't know how many years there, all our lives. Yeah, <laughs> but the unitive is probably a lot more. And oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, just and, like adolescence and, and infancy versus adulthood, much longer in adulthood. Yeah, and you know, I was reading a, a, a book about Our Lady by a Dominican who says basically Our Lady was constantly growing at an basically exponential rate in holiness, like in charity and love of God <laughs> throughout her entire life, like always. You know, that's just amazing to think about. You know, <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, a, a few other things is that in this state you start to see everything through the lens of God. Instead of seeing God in creation, you see creation in God. That's how St. John of the Cross describes it, like just a beautiful way to put it. But it's a different lens. It's like you have different glasses on that all of a sudden you just you're pierced with this reality. There's certain um, flashbacks to the garden of like, what were we really supposed to be like, you know, to walk with God? So that's what the saints envelop. And that's what this stage is sainthood. You know, that's where the saints were. And it's really important for us to recall that it wasn't just. For these particular few people, you know, this is the normal flourishing of grace that we are all given at baptism, which makes sense because we're given divine life. We participate in the divine life. Like what else do you expect divine life to do? Doesn't aim for mediocrity. I mean, so there's a real deification. I know that word sounds like new age or whatever, but that's a very traditional way. Divinization, deification of where, you know, we are given the power to be made sons of God. That's scripture. And so we, we start to see that inner life of God. We start to get more and more glimpses of that. And whereas in the past it was a lot more like this, there's a certain tranquility that the saints have of the inner stability. There might be total chaos surrounding them, but this inner steady peace. This, their emotions might even be like this, but in their spirit it's just like peace. I'm, in, I'm united with God through all of this. And then you see amazing things happen like St. Dominic, the Dominican order, St. Francis, the Franciscan order, St. Teresa of Avila, the reform of the Carmelites. She was, she was entered into spiritual marriage of the transforming union like maybe 10 years before her death. She had 
already begun the reform, maybe 10, 15 years into it, I believe. And she received the Eucharist from John of the Cross. And it was at that moment that she was given spiritual marriage. Uh, just amazing. Like to think about that from you know, two saints. I would, you know, there's, there's a few times in history. I go back and see like, that would be one of them, you know, um, just to be there. To, uh, just amazing to think about. Anyway, there's this marriage, this deification. We enter more and more into the life of God. And there's one other thing that I, I didn't mention as much, but the inner, the inner, imagination all these things are more pure purged we have greater more control it's not totally but more and more control over these things but that doesn't mean that it does that it, it may you know not get distracted from time to time or whatever like it's not complete and total dominion like in the garden you know there's still there still could be temptations to, and there certainly is suffering still you know our lord suffered on the cross and yet he had this total union with with god the father well not and only he, that but i would say that the suffering is even more acute Right, because Lord, the yeah. suffering is more acute. Like even our blessed mother, right? I mean, outside of our Lord, nobody suffered more than our blessed mother. Right. And and, and we just said she's in this stage, always. So clearly, the suffering is going to be actually more intense, precisely because you're so much more aware of how how offensive sin really right. is. Right. Yeah, and then their their senses are more heightened and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think Saint Bernardine of Siena, may, maybe someone else, but he talks about how. If we took all the pain that our blessed mother felt and divided it among all the people that have ever lived, we would die from that little bit of sorrow we got. Yeah. And so that just kind of gives you, again, blows your mind on how much Our Lady suffered and then, of course, our Lord. Uh, so there's definitely the suffering there in that stage. Like yep. And it's all, you know, very redemptive. It's because at this stage, it's not purgative in the sense that they need more purgation. It's not the dark night of the senses where you need that. Because, I mean, the dark night is part in you just uniting yourself to the redemptive stuff, but also purging of those hidden faults. It's not at this, in that unitive stage of suffering is, is union with Christ and his cross. And that's what happened to a lot of saints. They, they all receive, they almost always receive some persecution. You know, I mean, obviously our Lord is betrayed by Judas. Uh, the son of God was betrayed. It's just crazy thing, you know, and then John of the Cross, his own friars walked him up because he was reforming the order. He had to sneak out a window and then he had to hide in the convent with St. Teresa of Avila. When the brothers came knocking, they said, is uh, John of the Cross here? And she goes, oh, it would be a miracle if John of the Cross were here. So she didn't lie, but she was uh, very careful in how she worded that. So uh, St. Teresa of Avila, she also a lot of persecution. Time and time and time again, that's what happens. That's a huge part of whether it be that dark night of the soul or in this unitive stage, our Lord takes that and, and redeems it for the salvation of others. Well, again, we're coming close to our time, so yep. it's, been pretty, uh, it's been pretty fascinating. Thank you for taking us through this very cursory glance at these three different stages. I mean, any closing parting words you might have for us, Kevin? We should pray for the gift of wisdom. The gift of wisdom is, you know, I was just reading the book of wisdom, you know, about how this is the ultimate, the great jewel so far beyond any money in this life. And what is that wisdom? It's divine charity. It's to be able to see the inner life of God. That's what real wisdom is. And God wants to bestow, and we have the gift. He wants to inspire us with it and to make it come alive. This what we're talking about here. This is just the, the full flourishing of that gift. You know, and to really believe that, like, God, despite how pitiful and low I am, you know, and weak, that he wants to do that with me. 
that's an amazing thought, you know, and one that we should have with take with gratitude and seriousness. St. Teresa says when we're given that sense that God, God wants to raise us, like, okay, I want to take this seriously and make some real resolutions. You know, I encourage everyone, if you've been inspired by any of this, really take it to heart. What is God, what, what, what is the next step that I should take very seriously to show God my gratitude for any of these inspirations he's given me? Thank you, Kevin. Uh, and in thanksgiving to our Lord, we'll thank Our Lady for all her intercession. All these graces that we receive obviously come through her maternal hands. And we'll close by honoring her with those words of, of the angel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tu, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto. Sicut erat in principio et nunc et semper et in secula seculorum. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you so much, Kevin. It has uh, it's been enlightening. It's been illuminating. So I appreciate it very much. I hope everyone else has enjoyed it as much as I have. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks. God bless. God bless. Bye. This presentation has been brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. For more resources regarding the spiritual life, the Catholic faith, and the message of Fatima, and to support our vital apostolate with a donation, please visit our website, Fatima.org. Or call us at 1-800-263-8160. May all we do be for the greater glory of God and the salvation of souls. St. Francis de Sales, pray for us.